Well, we're going to continue this week in our series that we're looking at on the gates of Jerusalem. And last week we considered the valley gate. You know, how sometimes God takes us through those valley experiences in order to do a, that work of humility, of dependence upon Him, and also the dung gate, right? How God sometimes leads us through experiences that are designed just simply to remove stuff from our life, remove things from our heart, from, uh, you know, as Paul says, those sins that so easily beset us. God desires to lead us through that gate so that we can run with patience, with, you know, a lightness that we didn't have before. So he leads us through those gates. Uh, but we're going to look at some gates now that we kind of see a continuation in this theme of, you know, how the Dungate talks about things being removed. You know, now we need, we need a refreshing. We need a stirring in our hearts. And so after the Dungate, we come to the Fountain Gate, where we are renewed by the refreshing waters of the Spirit of God. There's nothing better after the Dungate. Right, then to come to the fountain gate. Um, and we, we have a, our slide here to show us uh, where the, the fountain gate is. You know, the dung gate was on the very south end, and then just next to it was the fountain gate. Right, so it wasn't a long journey. Um, and this was near the Pool of Siloam, where uh, the Gihon Spring was diverted, and it came, it fed into this pool, Hezekiah made a tunnel and diverted the, the, the Gihon Spring into that pool, and it was a refreshing you know, place to go and be cleansed. In fact, people would sometimes get, you know, be cleansed there before they would go on to the temple and, and so forth. And, and in Scripture, the, the, the fountain can speak of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the refreshing. And, of course, Jesus said these great words in John 7 and verse 37. It says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now that's the promise, rivers of living water. Thank God for that. The promise is not just ending at the dung gate, all right? Sometimes we feel like that, Lord, I'm just going through all of these difficult experiences, and sometimes God has to repeat us. <laughs> we feel like we're in a cycle because we're not getting it. And But, you know, that's not the purpose. The purpose is to lead us on, and a part of that leading on is a refreshing, a feeling of a refreshing in his spirit through living water. And we've probably all had experiences. Maybe you had a long day out and you didn't bring water with you or something and you're just so thirsty. And you get in and you drink some nice cold water. Hopefully it's water, not soda. But you drink some, some nice refreshing water and it feels so good. You're rejuvenated. My grandpa used to say that to me. I'd, I'd offer him like a soda or something. And he'd say, there's nothing better than fresh water. He loved the taste. You know, over half our body weight is water. We are water, right? We're living water in that sense. 
and if we don't have enough, it affects our body chemistry. It affects our our mind, our brain function, our our uh, blood flow, our muscles. In reality, if you don't have water, even for for like a whole day, that's that puts you on the fast track to not to a place that's not good. And and too many more days, right? That can affect us. We can die in a short order because of a lack of water. And so having water means life. And lacking water, that means death. And Jesus comes and he presents himself as the water of life. And he says, drink freely. In fact, I'm going to establish a well in you of living water that will continually flow up. And you can drink from that and not be thirsty anymore for the other things. Now, you mentioned that the, the water gates near the pool of Siloam and it was fed by the, the Gihon Spring. And, you know, in John 9, in verse 7, Jesus meets this man that's born blind. And he, he says this to him. He said to the man that was born blind, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and he washed, and he came back seeing. He came back and his sight was restored because he came to that fresh water that was flowing in Jerusalem. You know, Jesus spoke to this man. He touched him. He instructed him, but he did not see until he went to the water and he was restored. He was made clean through that fountain. And there's a key that we we see in this. There was, you know, both in this man's story and in Jerusalem, it's showing a picture. Where is the source of life? Well, there's only one source of water in Jerusalem. It was the Gihon Spring. That's why the city was originally established there. Oh, there's a spring, and here's a mountain, and we can have access to water and live on a mountain and have safety. That was, that was why the city was established. But there was only one source of water. And it's a picture of where we are to receive our life from is from Christ. And so true power in our spiritual lives, in our journey comes through receiving the water of life from Christ and through his spirit, right? When we're filled with the spirit, we're led by the spirit and we obey the spirit, we receive life. In fact, there's an abundance of it. That's what Jesus was talking about in John 10. John 10 and verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You know where that takes place? Whenever we drink from another source. Whenever we have another source we're drinking from, that's in reality what is taking place in our spiritual lives. Satan loves it. When we get thirsty for other sources, because then he can come in and he can, he has freedom to steal, kill, and destroy the work of Christ in us. But then Jesus says, however, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And how can we have abundant life? Because we have a well. We have living water and a source that Jesus has put within us. And if we will continually drink from that, we will never thirst or we will never need to, to thirst or go after those things of old. 
You know, that's really the good news of Jesus Christ. He's saved us, but he's put a well of living water within us. doesn't matter what our natural situation is. We can have abundant spiritual life in Christ as we continually drink from him. Of course, there is a problem in this, is that we have an inclination in our heart for those other things. Like Israel, going through the, the desert and God provided them manna, all, all the manna they could eat. But where was their heart? Oh, Egypt. They were just delivered from Egypt where they got whipped and beaten and all sorts of stuff. And here they were. Oh, Egypt, do you remember the things we ate and drank there? Oh, that was so good. You know, we have selective memory. We only remember the good things sometimes. When we remember the good old days, we don't remember the trouble from in the good old days, do we? But we have that natural tendency to, sometimes we forget to drink. Right? It's not even that we think about, we're looking to that, we forget to drink, and then we're thirsty, and we need a quick satisfaction, and then we're, ooh, I need something quick. I'll, I'll go here that has satisfied me in the past. Well, it feels good for a moment, but then it's gone. The only way to drink from Christ is to come to him and open our hearts and to present our lives and our thoughts and our motives. And that's not always easy, right? That, that can be another reason. Is sometimes we know we're coming to the light if we want to drink from him. Israel, you know, basically did that, you could say, and, and the Lord was speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've, they've hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, a cistern was basically, you know, a holding tank that back in ancient days, they'd carve that out of the ground and they would channel you know, the rainwater or water from a spring and hold it there. So in the dry season, they had water. And here's the Lord is using this illustration. You've made yourself cisterns, but they're broken. And you're trying to put your stuff in it, but it, your water in it. But it's never going to satisfy because it always leaks out. And we got a picture here of a cistern. That, and this is from, uh, it's actually from the ancient fort of Masada. It's one of, I think, seven or eight or nine cisterns they had there. Of course, it's in the desert, so they needed a lot of them. But that, was, that would, be, would have been filled up with water. They would have you know, put buckets down and gotten water out for the fort. And so that's what the Lord is talking about here. You know, you've carved yourselves out cisterns so you could be self-reliant, but they're just going to leak right out. And that's the way of life when we become self-reliant and don't rely upon the life of the Spirit. You know, that's a dangerous place to be, to be self-reliant. Ah, I'm okay without the life of the Spirit. That was Israel and their broken cisterns. You know, we can get into that cycle of seeking things that don't really satisfy. They satisfy for a moment, Right? It takes a little bit for that cistern to for all the water to leak out, right? You can you can fill it up and maybe it takes a day or two or a week, but eventually it all drains out. And so there's things that can make us feel good for a time. I mean, 
one of the big things in the world is money, right? People go out seeking money and so forth. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He that loves silver shall not be satisfied with silver. He that loves the increase of this world, it won't, they'll, they might attain it and achieve it, but it won't be satisfying. There's one thing you can know about every person who's rich in the world. They'll probably say, well, I'm not rich enough because <laughs> they're always seeking more. Many other things, right? Your careers, um, entertainment, relationships, basically anything that we try and do to, ful- to feel fulfilled in ourselves instead of obeying what God says. Any satisfaction we obtain will quickly drain away and we'll be left empty. Now, Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4 and verse 13, it says, Jesus said un- unto her, whoever drinks of this water, this natural water in the well, is going to thirst again. All right? the, and that was the water that everyone came to drink. They would always eventually be thirsty. I mean, usually like the next day, and they'd have to come again and fill up their, their water vessels again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. You know, the promise is he who comes to me shall never thirst. Well, it's not that we drink one drink from Christ and we're set for life. It's actually we have to drink continually from him. But what he's saying is we'll never thirst. We won't need to go to the to the world anymore. We won't need to be satisfied from those things because Christ eternally satisfies us. And that's one of the things that's unique in following Christ. He gives us true satisfaction when we drink from him. Psalm 107 and verse 9, it says, for he satisfies the longing soul And he fills the hungry soul with goodness, with his goodness. You know, we need to find our satisfaction in the living waters because he is there almost just offering it to us, pleading with us, come drink of the water that I have prepared for you. And so we need to come to the the fountain gate. It's a good one. Well, they're all good. I mean, they're all necessary, but... This is the refreshing gate, right? To drink of the living water of Christ, to flow in his spirit, allow his spirit to lead us, to guide us, to show us what really matters in life, to open our eyes and see as that blind man saw. Now, there's another gate that we see here. We can look back at this picture And it's just north of the the fountain gate, we see the next one is the water gate. Now we're traveling back up north on the uh, east side of the city. We see the water gate. Now, if the fountain gate represents the Spirit of God flowing in our lives, the water gate, you could say, represents the Word of God operating in our lives. Ephesians 5.26 The Apostle Paul prays for the church. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse his church with the washing of the water by the word. And so, you know, even though we come to the the fountain gate and we have the Holy Spirit flowing in us, 
there's another aspect of the water working in our lives, and it's the Word operating. You know, the Word of God is more powerful than we realize. We need His, His Word. Not only did the Word of God create the universe, it also upholds the universe. God just spoke it into existence, and it stays together. You know, they found out a while ago, scientists found out that just gravity alone, like or you know, the power of gravity, they studied the, the universe and they found, you know, it doesn't make sense. The space, everything's spaced so far apart that gravity is not strong enough to keep the universe together. And they, they found out there's something else. They don't know what it is. They call it dark matter. <laughs> you know, it's not dark, it's light. But they just don't know what it is. And really, it's the Word of God holding the universe together. His Word is powerful. And there's an effect of the Word of God on our lives. His Word cleanses us. It feeds us. It strengthens us. It keeps us in His pathway. Because when our heart is tied closely to God's Word, we will be tied closely to His plan for our lives. Psalm 119 and verse 11 it says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. When we hide his word and his word is dwelling within us, it keeps us. Now, something else we see in the book of Nehemiah is that there was a, a revival of sorts that was taking place. Um, after the people had finished building up the walls and the gates and everything, they gathered together uh, under Nehemiah and Ezra. And God moved in that meeting that they had. And, and some have turned, termed this the Watergate revival. Not the Watergate conspiracy. The Watergate revival. In Nehemiah 8, we'll just read these verses here. Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 3. It says, The people gathered together in the main street that was before the Watergate. They spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, the Lord had commanded Israel. Verse 2, Ezra, the priest brought the law before the congregation of men and women, and everyone could hear with understanding. Verse 3, and he read therein before the street that was before the water gate until from the morning till midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Then in verse 8, and it says, they read in the book of the law of God distinctly. They gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading of what was written there. And so in this chapter of Nehemiah, basically we're seeing how the people came before the Lord, the law was read, and then something happened. Something clicked in their hearts. They came to the word of God and they realized what was written there. And then they realized, yikes, we haven't been following the word of God. We need to get our, our lives together. We need to, to seek the Lord and follow him and obey him. You know, it says they read the book distinctly and it caused them to understand. There was awakening, an awakening to the word of God in the congregation. Initially, this caused that, right, that discomfort right? and there usually is discomfort when repentance is involved right? because they realized they had fallen short. 
And, you know, when God is moving in his word in our lives, it's a mirror. And it, it opens our eyes to, you know, if we haven't seen ourselves in a mirror for too long, usually if, you know, if it's been a couple of days and we look in the mirror, we're like, whoa, I didn't realize I looked like that. And we have to fix ourselves. And... But when we respond to the, what we see in the word as, a, as applies to our lives, and we can begin to align ourselves, that's when the miracle can take place. That's when the joy of the Lord can begin to flow. And that joy, that satisfaction can enter our lives. You know, when the people heard the law, they realized their sin. But as they met God, Nehemiah encouraged them. In verse 10, Nehemiah 8.10, it says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, send the portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord. Don't be sorry, for the joy of the Lord is now your strength. Because they had come to the, to the water gate. And the word had been working mightily in them to affect their lives, to align their lives, to lead them. And the joy of the Lord became their strength. One of the key elements to this story of Nehemiah and the Watergate revival is that it was, it was in this restoration period, which is really a type of the last day church, of God coming and working and restoring his church unto himself and rebuilding the walls and the gates so that the church is a place that's protected from the work of what is outside. And the feast that they celebrated here in this chapter was the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that represents the Feast of the Last Days. You know, Pentecost is the Feast of the early church and the Lord poured out His Spirit on the day of Pentecost which was a celebration for one day. But in the last days, God is going to fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a seven-day feast. Praise God for that. You know, the, the Lord has saved his best wine for last. And so when God moves in this last day, it's going to be a mighty outpouring. But yet, what we're seeing here is God moving in a revival of his word and of his truth. You know, when you study church history, you see a lot of uh, revivals affecting communities and cities and nations, and God moves in many different ways. Sometimes they're revivals of healing, revivals of the fear of the Lord. You know, I love reading about revivals or seeing the, the fire of God fall on communities and so forth, but we, what we can understand from this passage is this revival was a revival of his word and a focus of his truth. Now, I, I like talking about uh, a certain revival that in New Zealand that happened with the, the Wallaces, you know, Pastor David Wallace and Sister Marilyn Wallace. You know, they were young in, in New Zealand and there was a revival that took place there. And, and they, they talked about how there, yeah, there were miracles and healings and many people came to Christ, but they said, what was so pronounced about it is that there was a hunger that came upon people. They wanted to, to learn about Christ. They wanted to go to church and, and hear what Christ was saying and the teaching and the preaching. There was just such an intense hunger. And so they would all line up before church and the line would wrap around the block. And, and when the doors opened, everyone would rush to get a good seat. And, and it was like electric. 
because God was moving in a, and bringing a hunger and a thirst for his spirit. That's not something we usually associate today with church, right? I mean, that's more like concerts or Black Friday shopping, right? The doors of the store open and they all run in. But, you know, one day, a hunger is going to come. A revival of a hunger for the Word of God is going to come. He's going to renew His Word in the earth and show us the power of His Word, how it can transform hearts and lives and communities and even nations. That the answer to all of the problems in our nation and in the earth is a return to His Word. Because His Word brings life and health and peace and joy. The thing is, is that it has to start in us. Sometimes we pray for our nation and say, Lord, our nation is full of so many problems. Fix it, Lord. And then the Lord looks at us and says, okay, I'll fix it. Here's how I'll fix it. You know, we have that famous verse the Lord spoke to Solomon when he was young. 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If they will build up the walls and restore the gates so that the enemy is kicked out and he can't come back in. If my people will do that, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. There's nothing more we need today than for our land to be healed of wickedness. But for that change to take place, there has to be a change in us, in, in the people of God, in His church. We desperately need that. Of course, also, you know, we can say the church, but really it starts in each of us, each of our hearts. I mean, you know, we can pray for the church, but if, there, if it's not taking place in us, then it's not going to do much good. And so we can cry out, Lord, lead me to your word. Let your word be magnified in my heart. Show me where your word is not magnified, right? You can pray that. Or David prayed in, in Psalm 86 and verse 11. He said, teach me your way or your truth, O Lord. I will walk in it. Unite my heart to fear your name. And so we desperately need these two gates working in, these, in this day. We need the fountain gate. We need to come to the fountain of living waters to be refreshed, to be renewed, to be empowered by the Spirit of God and finding our life in Him and in no other source. And also the water gate where we're cleansed and our hearts are awakened by the power of His Word. And then we can be used by Him in the Feast of Tabernacles where He will cause the whole world to come and hear his word and to love it. To understand what he did for them, his sacrifice. Well, the whole world won't love it, but a lot of people will. They'll have an opportunity to respond anyway. And at some place, some point, there's going to be a transformation. You know, ultimately in the millennium. I'll read one last verse just in closing. Well, it's two verses, but it's an encouraging thought. From Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 2, 
It shall come to pass in the last days. Now, in the millennium, that is the full fulfillment of this, but yet we can believe that there will be a, a fulfillment in the last days of the church, that there'll be a drawing and a hunger, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations will look to it. And many people shall go and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. May that be so. In fact, it will be so. Question is, will it take place in us? Will we have the gates built up and working and operating in our lives. May that be so. Amen. Father, we thank you. Thank you that your plan and your purpose is to build up these gates in our lives. Lord, thank you for, Lord, how you come and work with in us and you deal with us and you remove things. But Lord, we thank you even more that you are the God who comes and builds up and refreshes and strengthens and anoints and empowers and speaks to Lord, we just invite you to come afresh. Oh, Lord, would you just cleanse away any self-reliance or, Lord, relying upon anything else. And, Lord, just cause us to be so reliant upon the living waters. Lord, even renew that well within us that we can drink from you daily and be dependent upon you daily of your spirit and your life. And Lord, that you would lead us even to the water gate and that your word would be mighty in us and that we would become so dependent, oh God, upon your word and upon the leading of your word. And Lord, that we would magnify your word in us, that when you speak, we would follow and we would obey. Oh, do this in us, oh God. Make us a people, Lord, of your word that you could work. Lord, do that Watergate revival in our lives, in our church, in our community, in our fellowship and in our nation. And in the nations of the earth, we ask, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.